Hi, this is Colin Shaw. Before the show gets going, we're trying to add some value to our listeners. So after the show today, I'm going to give you a URL where you're going to be able to download one of my free books on customer experience. The book is called Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience. So stay tuned to after the show. Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. No theory of human behavior applies to everyone all the time. It's a really important, profound idea. You know, I think one of the reasons why this has not been embraced by businesses in the past has been that it, it, some of this stuff is not easy and there are multiple things happening at one time. When you find yourself getting excited about a theory, that's the time to say, okay, what are the conditions under which this theory should apply or should not apply? All right, Colin, it's time that we talk some more about theory. Oh, lovely. Yeah, one of your favorite topics. Uh, I was very intimidated when you introduced yourself to me for the first time and told me that the name of your firm was called Beyond Philosophy. I found that vaguely threatening because I like <laughs> philosophy. Uh, what's wrong with philosophy? I think we're going to get along well because I'm going to talk today uh, or lead our little discussion around where kind of theory meets the road. So theory is all very well and good, but you, of course, spend all of your time trying to guide people on how they can apply it to solve their practical problems. And this is where I think people get theory wrong a lot. So there are a lot of fancy terms for, for what we're going to talk about today. Talk about boundary conditions, talk about moderators. But the, the big idea here is that no theory of human behavior applies to everyone all the time. It's a really important, profound idea. We grow up learning about science and we learn about things like gravity you know, or things like evolution, these, these scientific theories that do kind of apply all the time. So, you know, gravity holds everywhere all the time. But that's not true of any social science, not, not psychology, not behavioral economics, not sociology. All of those theories are contingent. So they depend on specific types of people in specific settings. And this is one of the things that drives me crazy. I think there's not enough appreciation of that. I think people learn about scientific findings and go, ha, this is truth with a capital T. And so therefore, I can just turn around and apply this within my organization with no problems at all. Yeah. And I think the, I have to say, I think part of the challenge in business is everybody's after a simple solution. Yeah. <laughs> But unfortunately, there isn't normally isn't a simple solution. People are not simple. No, abso absolutely. Are we saying, therefore, that something like intuitive and rational thinking doesn't apply all the time? Are we saying that things like confirmation bias doesn't apply all the time? Is it solely down to context or, or what? Yeah, so you can think of theories as having kind of broader or more narrow reach in terms of their application. So something like 
two system theory, where we talk about kind of an intuitive side and a rational side, something like that is broad enough that it will apply to a lot of settings. But yeah, it, it doesn't apply everywhere. So two system theory cannot explain all of human behavior. Just for our listeners, when you're talking the two system theory, you're talking about intuitive and rational. Thank you. Thinking, yes. as we would we would normally call it. That's right. Yeah. So uh, it's been called lots of things by lots of different people. Aristotle called it the soul and the mind. Freud called it the id and the ego. In our book, we refer to it as the intuitive and the rational because we felt like that was the most intuitive way to describe it. But yeah, it's, it's a very powerful theory. And there's a reason that we used it as kind of the central focus of our book, The Intuitive Customer. When people hear about it, it seems to turn on a lot of light bulbs for them. Uh, it helps them understand people better. And I hope this came out in the book too. It, it doesn't explain everything. There are limits on that theory. And so if you try to over explain it, I mean, I've been in situations, for example, where people have tried to use that theory to explain, like, for example, addictive behaviors. And, eh, you know, it, it kind of breaks down a little bit there because when you talk about particularly chemical addictions, you know, there's a, there's a biological component to that. There, you know, your, your brain actually can, you know, release different hormones and chemicals based on certain chemicals that you become dependent to. And that's really outside of the domain of intuitive and rational thinking. What I find, and I'm, I am as guilty of this as anyone, particularly when, when I was early on learning about this stuff, you learn about a theory like two-system theory, like confirmation bias, and you suddenly want to apply it everywhere. It becomes a hammer and the world is now just full of nails. And you can use two-system theory to explain how your kid behaves and, and how your customers behave and how your secretary behaves. Maybe. But my advice is always, we need to take a step back. When you find yourself getting excited about a theory, that's the time to say, okay, what are the conditions under which this theory should apply or should not apply? I think the key part here is that, A, it can be or is contextual i.e. it doesn't happen all the time it, it depends upon the experience that the the customer's having and the context of that and the, the context also can be how they are feeling how tired they are or whatever that may be i think the other key issue for me is that you know it, it this therefore doesn't not everything always applies and i think that for me the issue becomes this is I hope we try to make this simpler for people to understand the whole subject. But, you know, I think one of the reasons why this has not been embraced by businesses in the past has been that it, it some of this stuff is not easy and there are multiple things happening at one time. And you know what? It's far easier to talk about have we got the right price or, you know, should we improve our deliveries or should the processor on our computer be faster rather than talk about something that's a bit more, a bit more nebulous? I think that's absolutely true. This stuff is hard to understand. And the reality is that even great theories only work, only hold most of the time. There's a professor at Wharton at the Wharton School named Katie Milkman, and she wrote a great thought piece talking about how she had worked with a, a firm to improve, I'm trying to remember what it was, I think it was responses to letters that they sent to their customers, something like that. 
and they used a loss aversion approach. Now, loss aversion, we'll remind our listeners, is the idea that people respond more strongly to losses than they do to gains of an equal magnitude. So they sent out two versions of this letter, one of which emphasized kind of the benefits of this program, one of which emphasized the negatives of not joining the program. And uh, Katie wrote that, that she fully expected the loss frame to work better because that's what's been shown over and over again over the decades. In my personal opinion, loss aversion is among the most robust, reliable psychological phenomena there are. If I had to place a bet on anything, I would put it on loss aversion. But she wrote in this think piece, she said, you know, we got the data back and it didn't work. And then she, <laughs> she you know, had a really nice discussion about the fact that even the most robust theories don't apply everywhere. And she generated some hypotheses about why it might not have worked in this context and if the company really wanted to dig into it, they could have done some follow-up research to figure out what might have worked better and why it didn't work. But that's the approach we should be taking to all of science, because if, in terms of social science, none of it works all the time. So so again, just to sort of put a layman's view on this, so basically there are some theories, things like intuitive, rational, things like loss aversion that are, you know, do happen let me say the majority of the time, yeah, but don't happen all the time. And then there are individual things happening that that may only happen occasionally. I guess this all goes back to just talking about what we've talked about in other podcasts, which is the importance of segmentation and the just understanding your customers, but not just understanding your customers, but understanding the context in which that customer is then operating. So I guess, you know, it's the example of where someone gets home at night and you're you're making a phone call to them, you need to understand that they may be tired. Whereas if you speak to them in the morning at a weekend or something like that, then the context of how they're feeling and everything else may be different. It's the same person, but the context is different. I think part of the reason that the rational intuitive systems approach works well and people like it is because it's a complex theory that kind of has a built-in moderator, a built-in boundary condition. It says not just, oh, people are intuitive or not just, oh, people are rational, but it says people are actually both and they are both in different conditions. So that one theory is kind of complex and, and encapsulates some of this idea already a lot of theories that you'll hear about or read about don't kind of build those boundaries into the theory themselves. So they're less obvious and you need to kind of seek them out and figure out what's going on. So loss aversion, for example, is generally viewed to be kind of a universal theory. People are, are more attuned to losses than they are to gains. But another example, they they found a boundary condition on loss aversion, particularly as it applies to risk preferences where hormonal young men who are seeking the attention of, of young women tend to not be loss-averse in the same way that the rest of the human population is. They actually become risk-seeking oftentimes, and that explains a lot of the behaviors of young men. And so it usually applies, but again, there are boundaries. There, there are times when it, it doesn't, and so we need to seek those out. Different context again. Yeah,
the question is, what can you do about this, right? So assuming you've agreed with us that uh, we need to seek out these contexts, these boundary conditions, how can we apply that to our managing of customer experiences? One bit of advice that I'll give, which we've given on previous podcasts, and I will again, is the importance of experimenting. So I am a researcher, and, and when I publish research, sometimes I'll get interviewed by newspapers and magazines who want to talk to me about the research and what people can do with it. And they'll always invariably ask this question, like, okay, so what should people do differently now that they know about this research? And I'm usually cowardly enough that I'll give them some kind of answer. But the honest answer is probably nothing different. They shouldn't go out and change their business model or change the way that they're incentivizing their salespeople based off of the findings of one academic paper. That's not very smart. What it may do, though, is provide you with some hypotheses. So, you know, that's a new idea. That's a new way of thinking about it. Maybe I could try this and see. Don't bet the farm on any one theory if it's at all possible. Can you set up trials so that you can see, is there an improvement after we do this? Or can we have two different groups and one does it one way and one does it another way? As you were talking, I was thinking to myself, this is a bit like self-awareness, isn't it? So I'm sure listeners do the same as we do, which is you hear a new piece of theory and you go, oh yeah, I can see myself doing that. Or, you know, this happened to me last week when when that happened and blah, 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 blah. And I guess the issue is, it's not necessarily that you need to necessarily do something about it straight away. In some cases, let me also hasten to add, you do. So if you suddenly learn, for instance, and we have done a complete podcast and in fact a complete book that talks about intuitive and rational you know if you suddenly go blimey you know we're asking our customers how to do something when they are very tired and cognitive depletion comes in that's something that's not a good idea to do so i would definitely change something if you if you think it's if you think that's happening i think that for me it gets into the alignment between what your understanding is and then looking to improve your experience becomes key. So these things you may learn, but I would be putting them like with self-awareness, putting them in the back of your mind. And then when you start to see a behavior, then you can start to go, oh, that may be because of that, or that may be because of that. But I would totally support Ryan's theory of uh, testing things. And even when you make changes, uh, and I know that you'll agree with me on this, Colin, because I've seen you do it with clients. Are you making these changes in such a way that you're measuring what happened before and after, or or that you're, you're implementing it across different groups of employees or in different settings so that you can make sure, right? So, you know, going back to your example about talking to people when they're tired, that would absolutely be my hypothesis too, right? If you're talking to people who are uh, customers who are tired, you should anticipate they're not going to have the the energy and the resources to do that. That is the the best hypothesis that I could make uh, with regards to that situation. Even that though, we could be wrong. If something is important enough to someone, they can marshal the resources, they can force themselves to pay attention. And so it could be that for your particular group of customers, that great, great hypothesis based on the best science available just doesn't hold. And if you if you implement these changes without making sure you've got the measurements in place to know whether things have improved or not, and that happens a scary amount of time, then 
even after you've made your changes, you won't know whether that theory does in fact hold in this situation or not. Just be aware that it's, again, it's never one thing happening at one time. It could right. be someone's tired. It could be uh, exactly. they've also got some, you know, confirmation bias. I'm sick and tired of these salesmen phoning me up at, you know, 10 o'clock at night when I've when I've just walked in. And it could be some loss aversion in there uh, as well. So there could be multiple things that are happening. Um, and it's never just one thing. The fancy scientist term for that is high causal density. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that we're, makes we're it clear, now. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but the it's idea high is... high causal density. High causal density. Uh, yeah, it's exactly right. what you're saying, right? So the example I like to use is if you give a physicist just a couple of points of data, they can use some fairly simple equations to pinpoint the locations of stars and planets hundreds of years into the past or hundreds of years into the future. Right. It, because the rules of gravity are pretty straightforward. But for people, there are so many things affecting you at any one time that even if one particular theory does hold, there may be another theory that's just kind of stronger in that incident and predicts something sure. different. No, absolutely. And I think, as you, as we said, the, the, the key thing is understanding your customers, trialing it, measuring it uh, and seeing if it Im improves things as well. The issue is, for me, the main issue and and it is you need to understand it, that, that self-awareness bit. If you don't understand it, you're never going to be able to do anything with it or even understand where, you, where your customers are. Yeah, I agree. I, I think maybe another analogy we can use in, in the hard sciences, there's like physics and chemistry. And then there's um, the applied sciences that relate to them. So there's engineering that applies the principles of physics to specific contexts. There's chemical engineering. When you have engineers, they don't need to necessarily, and I, I know I'm insulting a bunch of engineers that are listening to this. Engineers don't need to necessarily understand kind of the underlying science as much because they've got all these great engineering specific tools and theories and equations to work with. There's no engineering equivalent when it comes to people. So in order to use behavioral science, you kind of have to take a scientific approach to it. And what that means is living in the world of hypotheses instead of the world of truths. So yeah. everything should be provisional. And sometimes I get the reaction, particularly I had, <laughs> I had one student um, when I was trying to explain this, raise his hand and said, well, then what's even the point? Why are we even doing any of this? <laughs> um, and my, my heart went out to him. I hope that's yeah. not your reaction. I hope people don't think, um, you know, well, why are we even bothering them? The, the science can make, can give you better hypotheses, can, can make you smarter in terms of the questions you ask, but it should still be considered provisional. One of the questions I often ask people is, how many people think that business is going to get easier over the next 10 years? <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> and obviously the answer is no one. 
Um, yeah. And I think that this is just part of that. I think it's, you know, yes, it's you, you need to understand it. Not a lot of people do. Our listeners are, are the few rather than the many. Um, uh, but if you understand it and you start to understand it, you start to become even just self-aware of what's happening, then I think that's going to move people forward. It's always the case. You need to understand something before you can then start implementing it. So great. Thank you very much, Ryan. Uh, much appreciated. And um, we look forward to talking next week and um, going through another subject of improving your customer experience. Thanks, everybody. This is Colin Shaw. I said I'll be back with you after the show with the URL to download the free book, Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience. All you need to do is to go to Beyond Philosophy dot com backslash cx book that's beyond philosophy dot com backslash cx book thanks very much bye-bye this has been the intuitive customer with colin shaw and professor ryan hamilton but it doesn't end here just go to beyond philosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows access free tools and resources and subscribe won't you that way you'll never miss a show that's beyond philosophy.com slash podcast And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.